Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just listened to is Good Riddance by R. Soner, which is available at the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello. And Julia. Hey. The three of us write and edit for thefandamentals.com for a fundamentally sound fandom analysis. Uh, we actually have some pretty cool stuff coming in now. This is a, a general nerdy criticism uh, you know reviewing analysis kind of site but the fall tv season is finally starting Mm -hmm. which means that we don't have to write you know the a millionth article on supergirl anymore well wait (laughs) that's gonna come back so i guess i I redact that statement uh but yeah things are gearing up uh the september shows have already sort of hit the ground running i myself am very into the season of south park for better or for worse It's like it's like my guilty pleasure in some ways, I think. Uh, are there any fall TV shows that you guys are excited about? Let's, well, talk about the show I've been watching later on in the show, and it's not a fall TV show, so... <laughs> All right, then. Um, I'm really excited for Star Trek Discovery. Yes. Which starts this weekend, I think? It start. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. If not I'm, next, but sometime, Like, before October. It starts sometime in the next week, and I am pretty hyped about can, that. I can tell you when, because I'm just scheduling it right now. Ooh, when does it start? It starts on uh, September 24th. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, this weekend. This weekend. Yeah, so very cool. I'm actually, like, a little excited for the, you know, schlocky CW shows to start again. <laughs> like, as much as they can be abated my, uh, of my existence, it's just there's something fun and relaxing about it, you know? Right. Just like, oh, let's read about what happened on The Flash. <laughs> it's just nice. I just, I just want to be there. And I can't wait for freaking Inhumans to start. I want to see that week in action. I really... <laughs> Seems like a hot mess. <laughs> Seems so bad it's going to be good. That's the uh, Marvel one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Marvel TV was, is usually really good. I was just um, actually, I was just reading an article today that someone was theorizing that it's already been canceled. <laughs> that what? like, it, it's like just going to be life. That it's just going to be like one season, basically. Is that because of how like mediocre it was received with the first couple of episodes that were released in theaters? It could be, um, that could be part of it, or it could just be that Marvel, like, has a different long play in mind, so they just changed their mind on it. Right. That's- which, like, honestly, I I mean, I watch a lot more British television, which tends to only have, you know, a handful of seasons that are, like, ten episodes mm-hmm. each, and I mm-hmm. think that that works really well. So yeah, if they were I like, like hey, this would be fine as just a single-issued, mm-hmm. you know, why not just make it a single-issue that's season that's good? I thought only had thirteen episodes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, so, how many episodes did Firefly have in the end, you know? 13. Yeah. yeah. Wait, is that so, what you just said? I thought yeah. She said I Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think you said the same exact thing as me. <laughs> no, I totally agree with that. I'm actually a huge, huge, huge fan of the miniseries format, too. Yeah. Yep. I like so, like, in some ways, one season that gets canceled, if they're able to, like, sort of pull it and wrap it together, that's wonderful for me. Right. And if they go into it knowing we're only going to make one season, it yeah. could be one really good season. 
Because they have to wrap everything up. I, I will say the early reviews have not seemed to be leaning in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but remember when, like, Iron Fist, everybody agreed that it sucked and it was, like, really successful. And it was, like, the Trump of Marvel TV. <sighs> Unfortunately. Well, yeah, I mean, I, then again, Defenders had really low viewership, and I don't think mm-hmm. it's just because uh, you sort of felt like you should have watched everything before it. Like, that might have contributed to it. Yeah. But I'm wondering if people were just kind of turned off afterwards. Who knows? We will see what Marvel does. They they are going to be churning out things for as long as we're alive. <laughs> it would not surprise me. No, it's, it's eventually going to collapse like the housing bubble. Thank you, Julia, for keeping it real. <laughs> so, on this podcast episode, we actually have a very po- special uh, episode for you. There <laughs> is going to be a dark and gritty Pride and Prejudice uh, TV show coming. So, we thought we'd give you our own ideas for what a dark and gritty adaptation will look like. That's going to be our first segment. We're going to mm-hmm. hopefully have time to talk about Game of Thrones versus the prequel trilogy for our fun segment. And then we're going to close things out by talking about uh, better late than never. Things, fandoms, whatever Mm -hmm. it is that we came into later uh, on in their lives not so much our lives but like where they were in their stages yeah yep so should be fun but first we're gonna kick things off by talking about some fandom news and last weekend was the emmys and i didn't even care (laughs) julia is not the most into award shows ever i mean like the oscars lost credibility with me when i was like 11 and shakespeare in love won I've and, heard this yep. story like five times. Yes. No, but I'm still not over it. <laughs> and the Emmys have lost all credibility now, too. And we all know why. That's yep. true. Well, luckily, we all know why it wasn't there this year. Yep. So, it's true. So pretty cool stuff won. Like, women in LGBT-led stories. Yeah. Right? So, uh, San Junipero, the happily ever after ending of Black Mirror, the one episode of that show that has a happy ending. Um, They won two <laughs> Emmys. Uh, Handmaid's Tale won, like, five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that, that was the darling, I think, this year. Yep, so it was Big Little Lies, though, too, because they won four. Yeah, um, Kate McKinnon got herself an Emmy, from what I understand. Yep. Um, oh. yeah, so, and Lena Waith, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, Waith. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, she won for writing, um, and she is a black woman and also queer, um, and she won alongside uh, Aziz Ansari. And sorry, I never pronounce it right. <laughs> uh, yeah. For which, what, what title was that for? Master of None. Yeah. My sister's really into that show. So very, very cool. My sister uh, who doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was pretty excited for Donald Glover to win. Mm-hmm. I love yes. Donald Glover. He's delightful. Mm-hmm. And apparently the first black male to win for directing, I had no idea yeah. that, like, that seems ridiculous to me. It's 2017. Right. I mean, that's what, like, that's what was, I had such conflicting emotions watching the Emmys because I was like, yay, all of these cool things are winning. And I was like, they should always be winning, though, right? Like, yeah. this should we shouldn't be having this many firsts in 2017. It was just, like... Better late than never. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that is a theme. I mean, the only thing that stood out to me as mm. uncomfortable was their choice to bring Sean Spicer. Yeah, that was weird. It was... Like, like, I think the reality show vibe is kind of enough. You don't need to add to it. Right. Like, if you're going to make... I don't mind them making fun of Sean Spicer. I think bringing the actual Sean Spicer does normalize him as a person in a way that I'm not super comfortable. Like, have Melissa McCarthy do a bit. 
Yeah, and did you see uh, Jason Isaacs? He's uh, most of you might know him as the actor who um, played Lucius Malfoy. I guess might be oh, the, the right, best thing. Yeah. But he ripped into this, and he caught, he was like, "Why the hell did they bring this guy here? He's a modern day Goebbels. Like, what are they doing?" And it was yeah. it, his post went viral. He's, but he's like a modern day like you know Baghdad Bob or anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, e- either way, like I, I it yeah, was just that. It was so tone deaf for mm-hmm. how much they were actually criticizing Trump, which I thought was awesome. It seemed really tone deaf to be like, and here we bring in his former press secretary to yeah, do and, a bit. But it, it's so funny because he was joking about how he lied to everyone. And ha, ha, ha. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we try not to be overly political, but when it's like shit like this, you bring mm-hmm. that dude into the Emmys? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. It was yep. just... So tone deaf. And, and there are all those pictures circulating of like liberalism.jpg and you know, all of that. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, this is hard to swallow. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yep. But otherwise, it was a pretty good intersectional night. Uh, also, uh, Riz Ahmed won for, uh, the lead actor of, uh, oh my god. We're the worst. What was he in? This Robot is Man? us. This. Oh, oh, right. So not even close. <laughs> <laughs> but yay, Riz Ahmed. I like him a lot. Yeah. Very dapper. He is very dapper. Um, All right. Moving on from the Emmys, what else is going on? Uh, Linda Hamilton is returning to Terminator. Not Amelia Clark. No, but, like, what is, what is, like, all these, like, old dudes being, like, dragged out of, like, their homes to be starred action movies they were in 30 years ago? And, like, poor... Oh, you mean Arnold? Poor, yeah, because yeah, like, Arnold poor Harrison Ford. Kind of, like, all these, all these posters for Terminator, he just looks so tired. <laughs> He's just like, leave me alone. Star Wars was bad enough. They broke my leg. Like, leave me alone. Oh, my God. Is he oh. going to be in the Terminator movie? No, he's going to be in the Blade Runner movie. Oh, yeah, the Blade Runner movie. I thought you said Terminator. Yeah, I, he does look really tired. Yeah. Look, he looks like All he that needs said, a break. Linda Hamilton looks fucking ready and awesome. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, she is Linda Hamilton. And, like, I am all for middle-aged ladies kicking ass. Like, come on now. She's basically Lynn Bay Fogg at this point. Yeah. I've- I feel like they but may how not. How old is she? Is she like beyond middle age at this point? She in her sixties? She might I think be. So uh, um, she is sixty. Yeah, she's sixty. She was born in fifty six. She's gonna like be uh, yeah sixty one in in a few days. Actually, they may not realize it, but I definitely think they're going to get a lot of queer women watching Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, mean like, I it's just a trend that I have noticed. Look, there's something about Sarah Connor anyway, okay? Hmm. So. <laughs> like, middle-aged women who kick ass tend to draw the queer female communities. I'm just saying. I'm here for it. <laughs> and queer for it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never excited about James Cameron doing anything, but whatever. <laughs> as fine. long as it delays whatever Avatar sequel he has going on, I'm true. fine. True. Very oh true. Oh, God. <laughs> um, that is true. Jessica Williams, who a lot of you might know from Daily Show, is yes. going to be starring, awesome. co-writing, and producing a comedy about a sci-fi writer in Brooklyn for Showtime. Yeah. That sounds fucking awesome. I know. Like, they don't know anything else about him. Like, I don't even need to know anything else about it. Take my money. I'll, like... Yeah. <laughs> I will, Hopefully I will it won't be like that episode of Deep Space Nine where, like, Cisco has that maybe hallucination where he's a sci-fi oh, yeah. writer in Brooklyn. And it's, like, very sledgehammery racism is bad. Did you know that racism was bad, guys? What? Um, if you don't, then Star Trek will teach you. Star Trek will teach you. Hey, what is yes. going on on the CW? 
Yeah, I almost brought this up earlier when you were talking about this schlocky CW <laughs> shows coming back. Um, I was excited until I found the prem heard the premise. So, okay, what the fuck is this? Apparently, they're bringing back Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which I did not realize was a part of the Archie universe. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, know did this. you never read Archie comics? No, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, like, like in the Archie comics, like in the same under the same cover, you would have like Betty and Veronica. You would have like Jughead comics. You would have okay, but those Sabrina make the sense. Teenage Witch. But yeah. the, I didn't realize and, uh, that. Josie and the Pussycats, they would all be, like, in the same, like, they would be mixed in together in the same Okay, color. but, like, one of these things is not like the other. Because, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch is about, like, she's a witch. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree None with that. of the other comics are about witches. And, like, Except magic. That one. Like, if you just read, like, if you just watched, even if you just watched Riverdale, you would have no idea that there was magic in this universe. I have a very important question. Wait, no, continue explaining this this premise, though. Okay, so... The show is going to be called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And it's a horror version. Is it very version. cold in Riverdale? No. I don't know. Like in Alaska? Maybe. So in this, Alaska. this is a direct quote. The okay. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina reimagines the origin and adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch as a dark coming-of-age story that traffics in horror, the occult, and, of course, witchcraft. Tonally in the vein of Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, this adaptation finds Sabrina wrestling to reconcile her dual nature, half-witch, half-mortal, while standing against the evil forces that threaten her, her family, and the daylight world humans inhabit. Like, the fuck? What? What is this? First of all, why can't we have Melissa Joan Hart kicking ass as a middle-aged witch? Maybe Maybe she'll be the aunt this time. Although she was actually just in some hot water for her really gross hurricane tweet, so oh, oh. so yeah, maybe because she was like, "Oh, there goes my vacation home." It's like, Ooh. okay, no. yeah, that was really disgusting. But no, also, what the fuck is this? <laughs> the only way I'll accept this, the only redeeming quality, is if she's also bisexual, so she can be another <laughs> halfy. That's the only <laughs> half witch, half mortal, bisexual. But then she'll probably suffer. Like it's a horror universe. Like maybe it'll be like black sales. We're all going to be suffering watching this anyway, Gretchen. Remember, remember when we had a dark and gritty show that we liked? It can happen again. You know how that? Remember how that show wasn't on the CW though? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Like you know, the CW is great because it's just like. Bring me your huddled, poor dumpster fires, and we will put them on somehow, and at least give them a season. <laughs> right? I mean, they made Archie, like, comics mm-hmm. that, for all I remember, are fairly lighthearted. They're fairly lighthearted. <laughs> about statutory rape and murder, and now yeah, they're going so to funny, make Sabrina please... the Teenage Witch, which I did actually watch as a child, which yeah, was too. delightful and funny and goofy is going to be out and had that uncanny valley cat it's i love salem loved it salem was the best i had the biggest crush on melissa joan hart not not even gonna pretend that didn't happen okay so who did you like more melissa joan hart or natalie portman natalie portman okay i figured (laughs) dude melissa joan hart isn't jewish enough for you huh yeah but sarah michelle geller maybe who asked for, like, a grimdark Nobody. horror version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Nobody. I did. I actually wrote my request last week. <laughs> oh, this is your fault. Yeah. I will blame you. Okay, we like, got, like, at least uh... one more thing that's going to take us longer than a minute to talk about. Okay. No, no, two more things, because real quick, let's have some really good news, which is that there's going to be a new Powerpuff Girl, a fourth Powerpuff Girl. Cry, to save the world. Her name well, is Bliss? Bu- 
Yeah, we brought that. We brought her up. I think in an old in one of the earlier podcasts, but there was no information. It was just yeah. there's going to be a fourth one. Yeah, well, now- her name is Bliss, and she's black, and she is purple in her clothing. If that matters to you, and right, yeah. and I have already like seen people freaking out. Of course, about it. because like. Right. Obviously, the the Powerpuff Girls. They're made should... out of sugar, spice, everything nice, and chemical X. Yeah. Why does like, that necessitate them being white? I have no idea. Also, because they like, always have been. There's this one um rendition of what the Powerpuff Girls would look like in real life because like they're supposed to be horrifying looking in their own universe because their eyes are like out of proportion and they like, have they're... no noses. Yeah. So I'll I'll try fingers. to find that post and link it, but like they're terrifying looking. Yeah. They have no fingers. Like, yeah. they're like yeah. rag dolls brought yeah, to life. It's disturbing. Anyway, the final piece of news uh, is good or bad, depending on your point of view, I guess. Uh, it's not good. <laughs> well, George R. R. Martin announced that there's going to be a fifth now series based on his A Song of Ice and Fire universe. This one is going to be a prequel. It is going to be helmed and written by Brian Cogman. Or Coggers, as I lovingly call him, mm-hmm. and Martin is going to be co-creating with co-creating it with him. Uh, now, anyone who doesn't know much about Cogman, very quickly, he is a writer on Game of Thrones, and he is mm-hmm. quote unquote the keeper of continuity. Although Mager yeah. the Third slipped through, uh, and he seems to be the dude that's like at least read the books. Yeah, well, he's the one who classically had like all the like straight book scenes in his scripts. Yeah. But that's been less and less the case, of course. He can also write dialogue where mm-hmm. people answer each other. It's very yep. talented. Uh, however, he's also the dude that, like, quit Twitter because people were being mean to him. He's the dude that was, like, defending the Sansa rape over and over and over again. He said it was he's dramatically the guy, yeah, he's satisfying. He's satisfying guy. Yeah. 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 Poor, poor Coggers. But we're Did he say that it, was he the it became consensual guy? No, that no. was Alex Graves. That was Graves. Okay. That was the director. But yeah. Cogman was, like. Cogman is also uh, the guy who wrote most of the Meta Players Club stuff. Yeah. Where it was very meta. In our Look, opinion, he, anyway. <laughs> he is committed to defending Game of Thrones mm-hmm. against everything they do, and that inherently is going to be, like, a yeah. not- I know, he PC seems, stance. he seems to be, like, in the, like, in the place where he thinks that what they're doing has value. Yeah. Which is not a position we share. Right. Raping Sansa had value as a gothic horror, clearly. Yeah. Right. I tend to, like, though I am definitely far less into the show than you guys are, I tend to think of him as the one that, like, when he's given his episodes to write, just, like, looks at these, like, this, like, box of, like, mismatched puzzle pieces and is like, shit, okay. man. Like, <laughs> I'm I gotta pro. make this make sense yeah. somehow. But he tries. They always give him the episodes, too, where they need something horrible or ridiculous set up and, like, executed yeah. or, like, some part of it executed. He's like, how am I, what, how am I supposed to do this? So I actually, like, have less horribly negative feelings yeah. about him, although he is totally, like, about kind of a rape apologist with what he was saying because he was also the one who said Sansa was a hardened woman making a choice. It's like, yeah. no, you fuckhead. Right. You were the writer. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Sansa's not real. Right. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I think they were trying to do something with that and they just did not pull it off at all. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, yeah, I think like in summation, this isn't necessarily going to be horrible and it won't necessarily no. get off the ground. So maybe we're pan- not panicking. Like maybe we're panicking about nothing. So. No. And if everyone could just like please lay off George R. R. Martin for mm-hmm. like how he, what he does, that would be cool. Right. He's allowed, think- he's allowed to put his creative energy where he wants. Yeah. And he doesn't owe us anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like. He's allowed in. Like, I say this as someone who, like, aspires to be a writer. 
Yeah, I mean, like, like if you really, if you're really that upset with him, don't buy the Winds of Winter when it comes out. Like, right? <laughs> you don't have to read it. Like, yeah. Leave Martin alone. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's transition into our dark and gritty Pride and Prejudice now. Did the cat just talk? Okay, so um, it's no secret at all to anyone who has been exposed to at least me and Kylie, probably Gretchen, though probably not nearly as much, that our favorite thing in the whole world is the 1995 A&E slash BBC version of Pride yes. and Prejudice. Yes, it is 100%. like the best adaptation I've ever seen. Yes. It is the best thing by itself I've ever seen. It is the most quotable, memeable thing ever. So I, I have a confession. I have a yes. confession about this, Joya. Yes. On my iPad, I have one thing, one video that is downloaded all the time, and it's those six episodes of the BBC Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. And I've been flying a lot lately, and that is literally my only entertainment for planes. When I just, like, get to the end of it, I'll start it over. I thought you were rereading my fanfic on I did reread your fanfic on one of them. It's, like, usually one way I'll do Pride and Prejudice, and the other way I'll read something, or maybe write my fic. But, I mean, it is is one of the, the few, like visual things that I could just watch whenever. Yeah. Like, no, like be, I doesn't was... matter how I'm feeling. Someone could be like, hey, feel like feel like watching the 90, 1995 Pride and Prejudice. I'll be like, yes. 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 That I do. <laughs> yeah. When I was like 16, I literally watched it like every day. It drove my boyfriend insane. <laughs> I'm just like, I know it by heart. I know it by yeah. heart. But anyway, um, apparently that version, even though it's perfect, was not definite enough for some people. And they decided... No. Uh, specifically the team behind Poldark, which Kylie is the only one of the three of us who's ever watched Poldark. I've watched, like, into season two. Yeah. I've seen gift sets. <laughs> My mom is super into it, so she's like, you'll love this. Like, I know oh. that, that one of the faces of Arya was somebody from Poldark that's, like, all about Poldark. Yeah, she's yeah, in Poldark. It's, like, in Cornwall or something. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, they're going to do a version of Pride and Prejudice that's darker, more adult, and less bonnety in tone. <laughs> Yep. That's what they said. Less a bonnety. So does yep. that mean like it's set in a different time period where women didn't wear bonnets? Yeah, they like <laughs> only like just walked around bareheaded. I don't know. Yep. And they were cool with like getting sunburns and stuff, I guess. If there's one complaint I have about the 95 P&P, it's that there are too many bonnets. Yes, definitely. Too many bonnets. And there is this one scene where like Elizabeth is walking with Darcy and like the light hits her in a certain way. You can totally see through her skirt. Like you can see her legs. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, what? I mean, it was, it was the Regency. Like, there was this whole thing where, like, women would go, like, they would wet their gowns so they cling to them in a fashion that they believed to be attractive. Oh my god. So, yeah, it's probably not that scandalous, but it I was mean, England, probably so like Grecian statues. Yeah. That's Everyone awesome. wanted to look like a Grecian column. That's anyway, absolutely awesome. So, um, you're probably familiar with Kylie's series, D&D Adapt Blank. <laughs> So we do have some experience with this. Um, what would a dark and gritty PMP look like? Let's 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 write this. Let's workshop. Well, please tell me it's not D and D writing this because the Poldark no. team writes coherent episodes. Well, they, coherent, but dark and gritty. Right? Yeah. yeah I mean, so dark and gritty. I wouldn't say Poldark's particularly dark and gritty, but it's like you know less bonnety. Sure. <laughs> so so women in Poldark like getting sunburns. Yeah. yeah, and no, no. I mean, there, there's like heavy themes and stuff. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to say, I'm not trying to malign Poldark necessarily. I have my own reasons for not liking Poldark, but uh, I, I do think what we're doing is going to be somewhere in between Poldark and D and D. Yeah, right. well, I mean, like I remember there was this adaptation of Sense and Sensibility, um, 
I think it's the most recent one. It was a little bit more dark, but, like, out of all of Austin's work, Sense and Sensibility is probably, like, the darkest one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, especially with, like, all that stuff with uh, Colonel Brandon's daughter and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's really glossed over in the books in the way that, like, I don't think you're allowed to gloss over it these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, 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 that always gets, like, kind of grittified, I suppose. Yeah, that makes some sense. So how do you want to do this? We want to go around in a circle. We each state an idea and then just talk about it. Yeah. All right. Gretchen, you go first. <laughs> I mean, the most... Uh, I hate calling it the most obvious choice. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, I mean, it kind of is. And this is... I could imagine this being the first thing that they would think of is, all right, let's turn Wickham into someone who isn't just marrying women for money, but into, like, a sexual aggressor. Like, basically, yeah. like, a pedophile and a rapist. Like, that, to me, seems like the most obvious like first direction well, if you're it, gonna make it's better than what dark. they did in uh lost in austin <laughs> oh my god oh but yeah too. like that that was kind of my first thought too that like because like wickham in those worst material i suppose you can say like like you can you get the impression that he targets younger women because they're the most gullible and the most the least kind of like aware of like what's going on Right. More than any, like, intrinsically sexual reasons, but... Yeah, it, it yeah. doesn't feel that like seems, yeah, That seems like, like low-hanging fruit for something else. Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah, when you're... If you're going to say, which I think one of the people involved has said, that, like, the book is darker than we give it credit for. What? And it's like, in order for that to be true, you it almost seems like you have to be reading some kind of sexual proclivity into... Well, I think that is true just because of, like, the impression that people have of Jane Austen. You know, she was, she's wrote very much about, like, you know, the precarious social and right. economic positions of women in that time period, mm-hmm. like, just as much as she wrote about, like, romantic relationships, really. Right. And that's something that people don't give the books <clears throat> credit for, I think. Right, you're right. So, that's not an untrue statement. Yeah, it is the low-hanging fruit, though, because mm-hmm. when you think about, like, how do you even make Pride and Prejudice dark <laughs> and gritty, like, that's what you have to go to. Yeah. Right. I mean... Yeah, you turn that into, like, a much more, like, dangerous situation for yeah. um, for Lydia and then for Georgiana as well. Yeah. I'm expecting a reenactment with Georgiana a I'm la, expecting a uh, poor thing from Sweeney Todd. Oh, yeah. yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah. I'm expecting uh, them to go further with the Georgiana situation than the text implies. Yep. For sure. Um and um, another thing that they often do, which they can take too far quite easily, is um, the quote-unquote poverty of the Bennets. I, mean, I was going to say that, yeah, dude. They did this in 2005, but, like, to comedic effect. Like, these are not uh, poor people. The problem, no. the prob- Their problem is not that Mr. Bennett is in any way not incredibly rich. It's that there's no mechanism in law for his daughters to inherit any of his money. Yep. Right. They so, do not. They do not live with chickens in the yard and, no. and like mud spattered and the pig. Yeah, that is yeah. not the Bennett. Like they own a village. That village that they live in, they own it. <laughs> right. right. Like, like an entire parish. Basically, it's implied that they own. Yeah. So <laughs> they're like, fine. One of the, if people know the source material, like none mm. of the objections to Jane marrying um, Bingley have anything to do with the wealth of her parents. Yeah. Like, it's not like they're in a different social status than we are. It's yeah. Like, that- uh, Mrs. Bennett is not, like, from uh, landed gentry. She's, like, from the merchant class, I suppose, and that's an objection. 
but right yeah but it's not like their family's too poor mm-hmm. they live with pigs in the house like, <laughs> which would have been an objection that like, is just such a weird adaptational choice i never understood that i don't yeah it biased me like early on watching that like remember that was when, one of the early scenes i was like nope sorry you guys i remember i can't remember when Kieran knightley was like barefoot on a swing Oh my god! Oh my god! The swing scene, the fucking swing scene, is the only thing I remember from that. Yeah, <laughs> she's on it for like ten minutes. All right. So my first idea for this is that Caddy Shark Charlotte Lucas. Ah. Uh. Because I just don't see. I just see that relationship being made super cynical. Even though it's like, in my opinion, Charlotte Lucas is in love with Lizzie. Oh, totally. No, that's my favorite headcanon. <laughs> so, so like when she goes to Kent to visit her, it's all like passive aggressive all the way. Yeah, and, like, don't, like, back off my man, basically. And that, like, yeah. Charlotte was, like, super opportunistic with yep. Collins. Well, well she like, was. You, I mean, you could make that argument, but at the same time, like... You can't blame her, because she actually is facing a future of genteel poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, maybe she was in love with Lizzie. <laughs> no, seriously. Let me have it. That I is don't my disagree. Favorite. I don't disagree. That she, that she took one for the team, because she was yeah. in love with Lizzie. I will write, I will write about lesbian Charlotte Lucas. Maybe yeah. that'll be my piece for next week. I love lesbian Charlotte Lucas. I mean, um, like, Charlotte Lucas is supposed to be letting that, just like, you know, like, that example of how making a purely pragmatic marriage is not a good idea any more yep. than making your purely, like, lust-based marriage is. Yes. Right? So just. It, yeah, she's the counterbalance, yeah. Yeah, it's I not could, I could cynical, see them making her super, like, mm-hmm. predatory. And Caddy, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. specifically, like her friendship with Lizzie would be not the warmth that it was. Her friendship, right. like she's her friendship with Lizzie, is so she can like find a dude to marry. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, that will break my heart if they go that direction. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. What about you, Julia? Um. So we were throwing around this idea about like uh, Mary, <laughs> how they yeah. look like. Yeah. Well, she's she's always kind of like the butt monkey of the story. And, like, this is something that they do in the 95 version more than, like, the text, like, states explicitly. Yep. How, how like, she's, like, you know, the ugly one, the one, like, who's never... Because, like, um, Jane oh, Austen... Her, so- her song, yeah. Yeah, Jane Austen actually wrote, like, letters to her family about, like, you know, where everyone will be in 20 years in her stories. And uh, Mary's eventually going to marry one of her uncle, the lawyer's clerks. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so like she's kind of yeah. like, you know, the one with no future. And um like that would be easy to take to a quote unquote dark place, right? And another thing that the BBC version did that like to comedic effect was have her kind of have a thing for Mr. Collins. Oh, I was gonna yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like let's make that dark. Let's let, let's make her like, you know, take it really badly and get all depressed and like maybe a suicide scare even. I don't know if that's too dark, but well, for Paul Dark's writing team, that's not too dark. That's not too I'll dark. Tell you okay. That. No, they had they had a suicide fake out in Paul Dark. It was so lame. Ugh. I mean, not that like, oh, oh, damn it, he didn't commit suicide. It was like it was a gun that backfired or mal- misfunctioned. It was like seriously, this is how you end an episode. Oh. I could see uh, along similar lines. I could see them going really dark with Kitty. Oh my god, yeah, she's okay. First of all, she's my favorite sister. So what do you have in mind? <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, I was thinking, like, after the whole Lydia thing, they could turn Mr. Bennett's, like, chiding into, like, actual... Like he locks her in the basement? Right. Or something along those lines. Like, it's not just him, like, I'm never gonna let you go leave the house 
But in 20 years, I'll take two of you. (laughs) Right. Like, I could see them, like, turning that into, like, not just a, like, I'm Mr. Bennett and I'm yelling, but into, like, actually, like, he's actually threatening her and not Mm -hmm. just as kind of, like, a half-hearted because he knows it's going to upset her and he's kind of a dick sometimes. And, you know, this is somewhat supported, too, because they're saying, like, it's darker than – the books are darker than people realize. If there's one thing the 95 version neutered a little bit, it's how much of an asshole Mr. Bennett is. Yeah. So I could – yeah, like, exaggerating that and then Kitty, like – because, you know, she doesn't really have much of a narrative function. So if she could be, like, the receptor of, like, you know, the the toxic patriarchy in the Bennett household. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, I hate it, but I could see it. Yeah, I could see them definitely, like, making him more... (sighs) I mean, I hate to use this word, but I could see them trying to make him abusive. Yeah. Yeah. He's not abusive, he's neglectful. Right, yeah, like, he's... Because he just can't be bothered with shit, because he hates everybody but Jane and Lizzie. (laughs) Right, yeah, like, he's not an abuser in this story, he's just, like, he doesn't like people who are silly, and it just so happens that his wife and a couple of his daughters are what he considers to be silly yeah Mm -hmm. um and that just means he doesn't care um i mean and he's kind of neglectful with the money Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm trying to think of a dark and gritty turn for mrs bennett because like she's so not a dark and gritty character no she's (laughs) like a purely comedic character she's like like miss bates you know like you can't you can't turn miss bates like you can you can do dark things with miss bates you right. could give her Munchausen's, Munchausen's by proxy or whatever. I definitely have breast cancer. Like, that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> no, I, w- I was thinking more along the lines of, like, one of the things we threw around when we were planning this was the idea that, like, Jane almost dies. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I, but, like, I it, support that. And no, like, I mean, I d- as a dark <laughs> Like, as a potential, that, like, they could, like, exaggerate Jane's illness. I mean, and you could make Mrs. Bennett even more callous and conniving. Yeah. About getting her daughters married to people. Or, like, have her, like, be, like, um, you know, Addie of the Julia, Julia or whatever with, like, plotting against people in a, mm-hmm. in a way that is completely incompetent but we're told is super clever. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still not over how bad that character was. Um, but yeah, they could, they could heighten her neurosis. Yeah. And as they could have Mr. Bennett actually die at one point and, like, kick them out onto the street and they're, like, begging on the street. Oh, my God. No, oh my that's gosh. so bad. It's going to happen. Oh, my God. That's absolutely oh. going to happen. I hate it so much. Like, what would happen if he actually died and yeah. Collins came and kicked them out? Yeah, well, because, like, you know, um, Charlotte, like, actually hates Lizzie and is all catty. So of course right. It should would- It should happen after... Um, the announcement that the Collinses are gonna have a baby, right? Yeah. That like, you know, Mr. Collins sends that letter that's like, ha ha ha, I delight in the fact that your daughter, like, (laughs) is in this shitty, that Lydia's in this shitty situation and like, I'm so glad I didn't. You should forgive her as a Christian, but also never see her again. Right? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, my wife is pregnant and then like, Mr. Bennett like, gets really sick. He is the world's biggest git. Yes, um. I was I was actually thinking like you know who's a really like you know who's a mensch is Fitzwilliam. I love Fitzwilliam. Oh, Colonel Fitzwilliam. So I he's got to be cut. Him. Like he's not going to make it into. You this. know where they made him an asshole and um um death comes to Pemberley. What? How do you make Fitzwilliam an asshole? He's like such a fucking yeah. Criminal. I know, but um yeah, he wants to marry Georgiana and she's not into him. She's into this like <gasps> random lawyer guy and he gets like. He's really jerky about it. Yeah, that's so bad. Oh yeah. my god! But it's but, no. 
Death Comes to Pamperley is actually really good. They could yeah. nice guyify him, though. He's I guess maybe he's into nice Lizzie, guy. you think? No, he no, is but- into Lizzie. He basically tells her, I would totally marry you, except I have to marry for money. Right, so yeah. Money and my company, but you know what they can do? You. you know what they can do? They can be all like, I would totally marry you, but I have to marry you, but I have to marry for money, but we can fuck. Oh. Like, you can oh. totally be my mistress. <laughs> okay, I like this better. Does yeah. Lizzie have the affair? No, no, but no. he's like not nice about it. He's a jerk about it. Yeah. He's are like, I'm sure entitled to you. Are you sure? Are you sure she's not like, I'm the, be like, I'm the son of an Earl, Elizabeth, like, you know, it would totally be a step up for you. How dare you refuse me? Yeah, like, you you should be so happy I'm even giving you my attention, given your yeah, family. exactly. Look, I have a feeling, I have a bad feeling that Lizzie is going to become, like, you know, a 2017 feminist from Burbank or something. Okay. I mean, isn't that what the 2005 version did already? A little bit, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I just have a feeling they'll, like, play that stuff up. So I could even see her doing that with Fitzwilliams is what I was like. What, like being oh, his giving her like, or yeah. giving like a, her modern sexual sensibilities. Or just like having a fling and then being like, it's no big deal, Jane. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that them doing that. Sense, okay. And pregnancy scare. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Pregnancy scare. <laughs> and, but then, but then like, like the patriarchy suddenly exists and Darcy forgives her for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like this idea. This, this is this this could be a fruitful idea. What are we uh-huh. doing with Darcy? We we gotta work that out. Nice guy, nice guy of for sure. Yeah, I feel like they like they. It wouldn't surprise me if they toned down his. I mean, because he is kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like in he's, the book, he's like, he's like a prig. Yeah, I mean, he's as he admits, like he was given good principles, but left to you know, imbibe them, them with, in like, pride and in yes. pride and conceit. So, like, he's, like, a self... Yeah, he's a Yeah, proud, he's, he's an INTJ, yeah. Yeah, he thinks he's better than everyone. <laughs> but, like, I feel like they... <sighs> I love INTJs, I'm kidding. Given... Totally is one. Given the trend in, like, romantifying Jane Austen, I could see them, like, toning him down a bit. Like the Bollywood version does. Like Bride and Prejudice does. Mm-hmm. Well, like in Pride and Prejudice, like he does absolutely nothing wrong. He's just wealthy. No, he's just he, like he's a kind wealth. Of, he's kind of like culturally insensitive in Pride and right. Prejudice. Yeah, but like because he's a white guy who doesn't know any better. Mm. So like they've they've given him like a, an acceptable flaw. Yeah, that, like, everyone's like going who's to trying to teach me with. about colonialism. Right. I'm sorry. I love Pride and Prejudice. I want to hear a word against it. So <laughs> I could right. see him being the like. Not so bad character when everything else is shit is like let's let's make these let's give dark themes to these other characters but like not Darcy because he's the romantic interest so he has to be a good person yeah or like maybe like like maybe Caroline um like sets him up to make him look bad to Lizzie for some reason and oh <laughs> and it's all like Caroline's fault it's not his fault right because women are catty yeah something bad's gonna happen to Caroline I will tell you that. Oh, she's gonna like die right. of consumption or something, or she's gonna she's gonna commit suicide when Darcy marries Lizzie. Oh, <gasps> I could see that happening. I hate this. All right, we're running low on time, so mm. my last suggestion was gonna be that Mister Hurst's like alcoholism is gonna be like a problem everyone Ooh. has to deal with. Basically, yes. I could it's gonna see be that. disruptive and he'd probably violent. be like, yeah, he'd probably be like, uh, like physically abusive towards his wife. Yeah, of his alcoholism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like but poor because Mrs. Hurst is going to be like poor Louisa. Yeah, like oh, she can't come down. Sorry. Yeah. 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 So I that, could see that happening. Yeah. I feel like there might be some servants 
who are unnamed, like, but we are, like, shown, like, background. Well, they have names. There's, there's Hill. Hill. No, I mean, And there's no, no, White. No, no. I was saying that they might have some, like, abusive servants. Maybe oh, yeah. not named servants, but, like, in the back, like, bring in the whole, like, social classes. Yeah. Like, the wealthy are just, like, oppressive and awful just because they have money. Mm-hmm. Oh, just like, uh... Like the happy hobbits that get slaughtered on Game of Thrones, just like nameless servants that right. are going to be mistreated. Yeah. I mean, playing yeah. along with the whole idea of like her alcoholism and like, yeah, yeah. totally hurt I people, like to show like how like inherently, I'm sure the attempt would be to be to show how like inherently oppressive social classes are. Yeah. Um, but like I could see that being like played on, like where Austin was attempting to try it and not necessarily show oppression, but like, yeah problems that they could be like oh well that's because you know regency england like this whole social class thing is just like inherently like oppressive and bad totally last one for you julia um i think you've tapped me out um but like i do think (laughs) i do think that they would do like more of an upstairs downstairs kind of thing where they like try to right yeah they bring in like the plight of servants also because downton abbey was a popular tv show and tv's completely cynical now Mm. so right yeah. But, like, I'm not sure how much that would jive with the whole inevitable making the Bennett seem poor thing. Oh, good point. Well, it would just be the, uh, like, Bingley and Darcy servants mistreated, I guess. Yeah. And then- or Lady Catherine. Oh, Lady Catherine oh, as well. Like, she you know she was into the enclosure movement. But I'm not sure if they would have um, the, the, like, patience or skill necessary to actually explain what the enclosure movement was, so. Right. Well, a lot of possibilities. We are really excited about the less bonnety Pride and Prejudice, but we've got to move on and talk about other dark and gritty shit. Hooray! Yay! Of course you shall have new things. We wouldn't see you disgraced in front of all the officers. All right, that's right, folks. It is our fun segment, part three, Game of Thrones versus the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Oh, I'm so and, uh, we have been like skipping weeks, so I apologize yeah. for that, but we could be long-winded, especially when we're really excited about guests that join us. So that's why we skipped our, our last episode. But this week in comparing Game of Thrones to the prequel trilogy, one often praised, one often maligned. Which Let's one? Let's talk about... I'm confused. Okay. <laughs> I don't think the prequels are really in anyone's favor, particularly right now. No. I mean, at the time they were, but yeah. Anyway, this week we are talking about strength of characters. Yep. So. Yeah. <laughs> let's start off with Star Wars. Oh. Okay, so I think we can all agree that, like, the standout kind of, like, hauntingly wasted character is Padme. Yeah. Oh my god. I like, will leave this piece yeah. on the deleted scenes, but... I, I mean, one of my tags on Tumblr is Podme deserves better. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've seen that a lot. Yeah, because I have a lot of very strong feelings about how Podme deserves better. She totally did deserve better. I also want to link a uh, Jenny Nicholson video where she talks about the problems with Padme, and it's just like a perfect breakdown of everything that doesn't exist in her character mm-hmm. that could have existed, but, but it doesn't. that's kind of the case with all the characters, though. Like, right. you could, like I, I think George Lucas's problem when he was writing the prequels was that there was stuff that was in his head that he knew that he never managed to get onto the page and onto the screen. Yep. And, like, he knew things about Anakin that we didn't know because he didn't tell us. Yeah. And that seemed to be the case with everyone. And there's all these, like, background characters with, like, names and backstories that we didn't know. So we couldn't appreciate how, like, rich this world was because it didn't seem rich because we only saw, like, it very superficially. 
Right. Like, it feels like wasted potential could be applied to pretty much mm-hmm. every single character in the prequel trilogy. So, I mean, like... Go ahead, Joy. No, like, you kind of have this feeling that there's a well-rounded character in Anakin. Yes. But because of the limitations of both the writing and the acting, to tell you the truth, um, there just, like, was nothing there. He just seemed like a piece of wood. Yep. Yep. And, like, we're told that he's angry and he has, like, not dumb reasons to be angry, but we don't know what they are. He's, like, just angry for some reason. And now his wife is dying, I guess. I don't know. But, like, the Jedi don't let him do things. Yeah, but we don't, like, we're told him, like, like, we have, like, that one example where they won't give him, like, a title, right? Right. That they make him, because, like, Palpatine is basically foisting him onto the council when he's not, he wasn't selected by them, basically. I think my favorite part is when he's just, like, Complaining about the idea of tra- he's overly critical. He never listens. It isn't fair. It's like, oh my god, yeah. what is this? He's like yeah. a nineteen-year-old punk. I mean, just like, like there wasn't. I don't think like, it doesn't feel like there was enough space in these three movies to actually tell this story. Which goes back to like, yeah. why does the Phantom Menace exist? <laughs> you know, and just like, no one if knows. they had one more movie, maybe they could have fleshed this out a little bit better. Right? Because, why did it have to be? But like, there's just like, I don't think. Like, like it's a clear, it's a character-driven story with no emphasis on the character, right? If that makes any right. sense. Mm-hmm. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, I feel the same way about like Obi Wan, who I think of the characters on screen comes out. He is, I feel like, one of the most well-rounded. Like, not necessarily a good, but like most fleshed out. Um, I think that's because he's just played by Ewan McGregor. Yeah, right. I mean, like, and like, that's the he thing. Does I'm trying have... to figure out, like, why is it that I feel that way? And I think it's just because Ewan McGregor puts yeah. so much into the but little that he's given. But if you think of these given. three movies, he's the one that has a kind of, like, a very defined arc, right? Like, he starts right. off as a Padawan, and, like, the first movie is about him getting to a place where he feels that he can have a Padawan of his own, who's Anakin. Right, but, yeah, but then he's sent off on SWAT, side quests for the next two Yeah, movies. I know. You're absolutely but, right. Like, the the issue is that the prequel trilogy should have been about him. He should have been the mm. central character. And Martin and Martin, oh my god, uh, <laughs> Lucas didn't do it. Right. Well, because he's so enamored of Darth Vader and the creation of Anakin that he decided the story was about like halfway through Return of the Jedi, as far as I can tell. <laughs> oh right. God. I feel like ugh, the prequel trilogy is supposed to be about why it was that someone like Anakin mm-hmm. would turn to the dark side, but the. Ugh, I mean, Red Letter Media goes through this quite perfectly. How, like, right. there's no arc to Anakin because he shows, like, he, there's, like, no real difference between Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader in what he does no. and what he says. No. Not in the prequel. Yeah, not Just, in like, the his eyes turn yellow, apparently, and now he's Darth Vader. Like. Right. Uh, and then the name comes out of nowhere, too. I will call you Vader. Why? Yeah, it was like they had to get him from, like, child to Darth Vader mm-hmm. to the Darth Vader that we see in I mean, like, the remember, trilogy, it was one which, of the first... Which is nonsense, because there's 20 years in between the end of yeah, yeah. Um, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. There's plenty of space to have left him on, like, okay, I can see why he's beginning his dark path, and I can connect mm-hmm. the dots in between him beginning his dark path and becoming the Vader that I see in A New Hope. Yeah, but, like, remember, you guys might be too young. I have a few years on both of you, so, like... <sighs> what? Well, like, I, I think I, I think these are the critical years that I have on you. The very first teaser trailers was, like, uh, Jake Lloyd, like, walking through the desert, and his shadow was Darth Vader. Babe, I remember that. Yeah. That was the movie poster, too. Yeah. yeah. And, like... Wow, like that that was that was an extremely compelling image. Uh-huh. And that's what they were trying to do like that they completely like was, failed at. 
Yeah, well, it was, I feel like it was still a mistake to start him out as... No, like, absolutely. Okay. Like, he's, he's like, what, like, eight in the first movie? He's just a kid. Like, there's no... There's not even, like, a hint of Vaderness in him at all. And then, like, you get to attack no, the clones, but he's, and he's oh, afraid look, he's and, Vader. And being afraid... He's afraid, and being afraid leads to being angry, and being angry leads to suffering, or whatever it was. Yeah, but all that happened, apparently, between the first and second movies, because, right. like, in the second movie, he's already slaughtering entire villages full of people. That's true. And, like, screaming about how he hates Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, to be angry right. is to be human. I understand that, but... <laughs> right, like, the problem, like, there are some really, really compelling fan theories, mm-hmm. and that's the thing, is, like, I mean, as you said earlier, Juliet, like, you can see how there are good characters that exist within the characters yeah. we see on our screen, but you have to do so much work Which to, reminds like, fill in... also of... Game of, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Where, like, we, we came up with a term for this, like, honeypotting. It has... Um, a very uh, contentious history, but um, <laughs> like um, a honeypot is basically a story that the viewers are forced to tell in order to make the story that we see on the screen make sense. Right. It's and not it, what's yeah. actually on our screen. It, it comes we from a it theory up. that was around in the second season that uh, a particular character was like a honeypot trap for another character. Because, uh, because like the like it was like the her, her like existence as a character was so stupid that people were like oh it has to be this because then it will kind of sort of make sense but no like that that would like she yeah, died there and was it a time traveling field nurse yeah yeah so so we call any any of those explanations that like like you can hear the desperation in them they're just like oh this is this is like you know by the end of the season we'll know that this is the case. But it's never the case because with Game of Thrones, it's always exactly what you see on the screen. Right. I feel like, okay, before we move on to Game of Thrones, I will say that the one character that I think that the prequel trilogy got is really strong, I think, and is really strong throughout all three of them is mm-hmm. Palpatine. I think they made a mistake, though, with, like, um, revealing him. I mean, but, like, right. we kind like, of know I don't he's think going to are- end up being the Emperor, but, like, to actually have scenes from his point of view and stuff like that, like, that was weird. Right. Like, I don't think that, especially in the first film, mm-hmm. that revealing Palpatine as the Emperor was the wisest choice. But, like, as a character, he, it, like, he has clear motivations. We understand what, who he is. Um, we can talk about... I'm not about- sure about his motivations being clear. I'm not sure how his plan is supposed to be working at all. But other than that... Well, because it's like this ridiculous Batman scambit, but I think yeah. his motivations are clear yeah. that he well, has power. His motivations and see, that he's evil. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, things, the cards unfolded too conveniently for him, but he's a well-defined I'm character. not sure, but like, like I'm not clear on like what the card game was. Like, he's starting this like civil war and like step three profit. Like, I, I'm still, like, I've seen these movies multiple times. I'm sh- still not sure well, how it works. you know, works. Julia, chaos is a ladder. <sighs> oh, my God. Palpatine is Littlefinger. Oh, my gosh. You're right. He is. Oh, my God. There are so many similarities between these characters now that I think about it. Yeah. We should wow. write. Wow. Someone should write that. We should. Oh, separate wow. a draft. Yeah. Yeah. Palpatine I could do that, too, if I don't write about lesbian Charlotte Lucas. <laughs> you can always do both. Not, yeah, a, not in the same like, piece, though. Because, like, Littlefinger has consistent motivations, which we were told at the end of last year is because he has a vision board where he wants to marry Sansa and sit the Iron Throne. Yes. And every goal he does brings, like, everything he does brings him closer to that goal. Right. And, like, okay. So I guess he's very Palpatine-esque in that way. Littlefinger is well-defined. He's Mm -hmm. consistent. That's more than I can say about anyone else on Game of Thrones. I mean, his plan isn't consistent, but the character's consistent. (laughs) But right. chaos is a ladder, so therefore right. every plan he has is to that goal because every plan is chaos. Every plan doesn't make sense, okay. Right. Uh-huh. And what's, I think that brings up an interesting difference to me between the 
weak characters in the prequel trilogy and the weak characters in Game of Thrones mm-hmm. is I I don't actually think that the characters in the prequel trilogy are inconsistent. I just don't think they're very well defined. I agree. And that's a difference because, like, you can't have inconsistent characters when they're not well, well defined. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's natural that Anakin as an 8-year-old and Anakin as a 19-year-old have nothing in common. I mean, that's not... That's not terribly yeah. terrible. They just kind of reset the character, which is well, another, like, why does the Pentamons exist? Obi-Wan kind of changes drastically in between the first and second, doesn't he? No, he still had that little yeah. bit of a sarcastic streak in the first one. Yeah, I mean, he's the queen of sass. And yeah. he's, like, drama. a buzzkill in the second, and, like, the sort of rambunctious one in the first. I feel like you could, that... I mean, you can, like, fill in the blanks, sure, and just be like, he took on more responsibility and settled down. But, right, like, but, um... Like, I'm going to bleed over into the next segment a little bit, but just, like, uh, what they have in common, I think, is, like, we have that source material for Game of Thrones where we can kind of fill in the blanks of the characters. And once you've kind of, like, seen, like, a lot of the other material that's associated with the prequels, you can do that a lot with the films, too. Right. That okay. just, like, you know, there, there are those skeletons of characters there. Right. You know, there, there, it is possible to do something with them. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, they're the not, Vader comics yeah. are excellent. They're not they're intrinsically, so like, poor characters. Like, there's nothing about them that makes them have to be poor characters. No. Well, what's, what's so bad about, you know, <laughs> deadpan Stormborn? <laughs> what's so, oh, anything about her? I have oh no feelings. <laughs> look, right. look, uh, we'll link why Game of Thrones is a bad show 101, but mm-hmm. basically, the, there are characters that are pieces of cardboard. Mm-hmm. Johnny Cardboard or Jon Snow and Danny are the two biggest ones that like they don't emote, they don't really have much of anything. I don't even John's defining characteristic as being an idiot, from what I can tell. I mean, but that's and a lot he's like the Jedi and in the prequels. <laughs> I mean, like Yoda and Mace Windu. Like, what the fuck? Like, how many times do they have to be told that there's a Sith in the Senate? Like, seriously. I wonder if it's the assholes, but that's yeah. I wonder if it's the guy with power. Mm, gee. Palpatine's behind it all. (laughs) Yeah, and then the characters that aren't super wooden or super, like, Mary Sue villain Sue, like Mm -hmm. Tyrion is a Mary Sue, Ramsay was a villain Sue, Euron is a villain Sue at this point. I don't know what he is. He's playing something different every episode uh, by the actor's own admission. He was like, oh, psychopaths always have multiple personality disorder, so I'm just going to play a different character. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, this is actually what the man said. I mean, like, whatever he needs to do to get through the workday. I sympathize. If you watch watch season six, season seven Sansa was very consistent, but season six Sansa, like, she would change in an episode. She'd be playing a different character. Right, Sometimes yeah. it would be Sophie Turner. I mean, Sometimes that's why it'd be, you guys yeah. talked about the Sansa Stark construct. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's not actually a character. She is like... But season 7 was a big improvement in that regard. So. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, that's not a thing that I think you see much in the prequel trilogy. Of this, like, playing a different character based on plot needs. Yeah. That... Maybe I a little... Yeah. Think, but that is, like, a Maybe sig- a little bit for, for Potme, but... Yeah, maybe a little bit. But, like, that's a significant flaw mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones, is that characters act the way the plot demands them to, my- what they do, rather than, like, it flowing from any, like, consistent motivation in their character. My favorite thing was, you know that um, Drake image of him being like, yeah, that's it, like, right on? Like, it showed him pointing at Cersei, it showed Jamie pointing at Cersei when she's like, oh, I just blew up, like, the Sept and murdered our family and the Tyrells and all this, and he's like, yeah, right on. And then it shows, like, Drake being disgusted and pushing her away. Yeah. And she's going, I lied to Jon Snow. <laughs> 
Right, because, yeah, how does, like, Jamie makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Who he is this season is not at all who he was last season. And Brienne, like, at this point, like, what the, what is she? She's just, like, this person, this asshole who stalks around with a sword. Yep. She contributes nothing to the plot anymore. It's just, it's it's really bad. So, yeah, like, if, if they're not consistent... It, 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 they're either super inconsistent or they're consistently terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. Or there's like a consistency-esque with Littlefinger, but it makes no sense in the larger picture. So like, those are the Game of Thrones options. I mean, right. should, what, no, go ahead. should romance be its own topic or should we talk about... Romance should definitely be its own yeah, topic. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we right. can add it. We can add it on. I, I hope you guys are enjoying this series at all. We're basically just... You know, it's easy to hate on the prequel trilogies now, mm-hmm. but boy, even with that one episode where everyone was critical for Game of Thrones, it's still such a darling. So we are going to continue to point out how it's the same thing. <laughs> right. I mean, because I mean, the other thing to point out is like, act like conversations. That's another thing about these characters is like that I think that they both have in common. Yes. Yeah. Is that like again? You watch the pre- explain this the best, right? You, <laughs> like he could have said the- anything after that, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like the prequel trilogy and Game of Thrones are like the champions of nonversations. Mm-hmm. It's for two people just yeah, assert things without actually connecting. Yeah. Yeah. Like two people stand next to each other and they say things, but like there's no logical flow to the conversation. Like anything could be said after what one character says, and it, yeah. it would, would make, make just as much sense, sense as as anything else. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that is a well, problem of both, which is a pro- which isn't necessarily a problem of the characters as much as the writing, mm-hmm. like we will have to save romance for its own segment though because John and Danny of this latest season had me begging for Padme and Annika. <laughs> which is saying a lot. Yeah, it's so bad. I don't like sand. All right, moving right along. You shall be known as Darth Vader. So, related in a, which I think, I think it's a related topic, um, (laughs) based on what Julia's going to talk about. Yeah, it's definitely related. uh, We're going to talk about joining a, like, piece of media late. So, being, like, late to the party. Uh, For example, this is not going to be my main topic, but, like, I only started watching Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender after both of them had finished. Oh, yeah, me too. So... I yelled about it a lot online. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, that's not even just late to the party. It's, like, me showing up, like, a week later and being like, hey, I heard you guys were having fun over here. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I've done that. No. Um, but, like, that's the general idea of, like, what is it, you know, what are the shows or books or whatever that we're, that we've joined late in the game. Yeah, totally. So, shall I start? Yeah, Julia, Michelle. this was your this was your idea. Okay, so you know what's really good? <laughs> the Clone War cartoons. <laughs> which well, one, okay, no, no, no. Let's establish which ones are you watching. I'm I'm watching the series that was on like what the Cartoon Network for the longest time. Okay, not not the one that was done by the guy who did Samurai Jack. No, but the that, that was also really good. But those those that's actually really short. Like you can watch the whole thing in under half an hour, I think. Right, yeah. Um, and it kinda, I just thought it, it would be clear because there are two yeah. Clone Wars cartoons. One of them is Clone Wars, one of them is The Clone Wars, I think. And I thought, okay. I'm talking about The Clone Wars, the, the CGI one. Yeah, it's the CGI, really not the animated. good. Um, cause the, they had a theatrical release of like a pilot, like a feature length pilot that got like raked over the coals when it came out. But yeah. like as, um, as many people pointed out, it was actually not any worse than the prequels. I mean, Mm-mm. like, it was like, 
and, and one of the excuses for the prequels is that like it's for kids, right? But like the Clone Wars is actually for kids, and most of its flaws can actually be kind of explained like that, like like the way that they kind of gloss over politics sometimes. But ironically enough, by the time you get like to the full disclosure, I'm not done the Clone Wars yet because they keep threatening to take them off Netflix. But this is like. <laughs> The third time they threatened to take it off Netflix and it's still there, so I'm not sure. But uh, I decided to finish watching it because, like, I'd watched, like, the first season years ago. Mm-hmm. And they kept they keep threatening to take it off, so I was just like, I'm going to finish it. Because I want to watch Rebels because apparently that's really good. It's um, super good. Yeah, so um, by the time you get, like, to the fifth, the, the fourth and fifth season, the politics actually gets quite nuanced. Mm-hmm. And just, like, all these things that we were just complaining about are missing from the prequels. Like... Why are the Separatists evil? We don't know. We don't see them doing anything evil. In the Clone Wars, you do actually see them do, like, you know, shady things. But there's also... Like, explain who they are, too? Well, like, there's also, like, they have this thing where there are, there are, like, you know, like, like, there's true, like, there's true believers amongst the Separatists who are, like, there's problems in the Republic, you know, like, we're seceding, we have our own, like, legislature, we have, like, actual policies that we're doing, and we're trying to, like, do, do the Republic, but better, like, go back to the way the Republic used to be. And, like, you have all these true believers who are, like, kind of being manipulated by the sinister figure of Count Dooku, who, like, mm-hmm. his motives are never really clear. And there's all these, and, like, the clones. Oh, my God. There's, there's like, this yes. little, there's this little clique of, like, clone characters. Like, oh, my God. All the, like, all these clones, they have, like, their designation numbers. But, like, they give each other names and everything. And, like, they, they express themselves with, like, you know, like, their hair color and, like, some of them have, like, facial tattoos and things like that. Like, they're really, like, it's really important to them to express their individuality within this context. And they're all, mm-hmm. like, there's all these, like, stories about how they're conflicted about, like, how they're basically, like, born into this life and they, like, it's their duty and they don't have a choice. But some of them, like, you know, they want something different out of their lives. And they have this, like, sense of camaraderie about with them. And, like, you know, because the, the strength of the clones versus the droids is supposed to be, like, the, you know, the clones are individuals who can think and, like, you know, they, they fight for each other as much as they fight for the Republic and things like that. And, like, you have all these, like, you know, you have these characters who, like, all look the same or have the same voice actor who managed to have, like, these distinct personalities. Like, you know, like, you have Captain Rex, who's, like, as much a leader as anybody. And you have, like, you know, like, that that little clique, you know, you have Fives and Heavy and all those people. And just, like, when one of them dies, you're, like, devastated. And, like, yep. yeah, there was there was this one episode where, like, um... I was enthralled. It was it was an episode where like there's this one Jedi general who goes a little power mad, like a little like heart of darkness, and is like sending all these clones <laughs> on suicide missions. And like and the clones basically like band together and decide to like have a mutiny. It was like a th- like three or four parter. Like I was sitting there at the edge of my seat. I was enthralled. It was yep. so good. It's also like one of my favorite female characters in all of the Star Wars universe. What, Ahsoka? I love Ahsoka Tano. Oh my god. Apparently gosh. shit's gonna go down. I'm I'm at the beginning of the fifth season. Apparently shit's gonna go down with Ahsoka. I love her. Yeah. She's so good. But she, she's is, so good. It, is it the uh, creative team behind this very similar like a lot of the people who worked on Avatar the Last Airbender? Am I mistaken about that? I have no idea. No, I, have no I idea thought there. that was like the case. But yeah, I'm so like because I think now that I've seen most of the series, like let's not even talk about Ventress. Like, oh my god. Oh, talk about a good Josh villain. Ventress. Yes. Um, but, um, now that, like, I kind of understand prequel apologists. Right. Because, like, there was, like, there's so many stupid things about the prequels just, like, in the world building that they Mm -hmm. managed to make less stupid. Like, one of the things that really upsets me about the prequels are the droids and, like, the droids as a concept of, like, how droids would be used are so stupid. Like, why are they so anthropomorphic? 
why do they communicate using language? Like, yeah. how does it work like this? Like, why would they set this up so stupid? Like, because, and the reason is that, like, George Lucas basically designed them to be defeated easily by Jedi, right? Like, right. that's the right. reason. And, like, they permeate the society in this, like, really annoying and, like, non-realistic way. Like, that's not how, like, that kind of technology would work. It's just not. You mean, like, the Roger Roger. Yeah, it's not. And, and just, like, the way that, like... <laughs> Like, there's this dumb episode where it's, like, Padme's throwing a dinner party, and 3PO forgot to get fruit for the cake, and so he and R2 have to go get fruit. Oh, my God. It's so dumb. But, and just, like, this is not how droids would work, you know? But, like, the show kind of embraces them in a way that it actually does something with it. Right. And just, like, they, they take this kind of ridiculous concept that they're given with the prequels, and they managed to graft something onto it that's worth watching and made me care. And I didn't think that was possible. Right. Like, I didn't think it was possible to make sense of Anakin's uh, emotional, like, inner emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not as depicted in the prequels. But I think yeah. the Clone Wars, like, the Clone Wars really does such a good job of filling in the blanks. Yeah. That, like, the prequel trilogy set up of, like, how do you get from, like, whiny wannabe Jedi to, like, what we see him as in mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith? Like, someone who's been through war, mm-hmm. someone who has, like, pro- like proved himself, but also still has these, like, underlying, like, struggles and traumas and... And Padme also, like, um, her as, like, a leader in the Senate is much le- more filled out. And, like, yep. her political and diplomatic abilities are used a lot. Mm-hmm. And, but one, make, one thing they hardly... Which does make Revenge of the Seth more upsetting. Yeah. Sith more upsetting, yeah. but... But one thing they hardly yeah. ever touch on in the Clone Wars is her relationship with Anakin. Like, and, like, yeah. one thing they don't do is ever go behind, like, certain curtains. Because, like, the, the tone of it is very kind of, like, 30s-esque, like, sci-fi serial. Right, mm-hmm. so you never yep. see you never see like you know like Palpatine being explicitly like Darth Sidious, and you never see like Anakin and Padme in a private situation or anything like that. And like there there are a few scenes that are, like if you know that they're like secretly married, like you're like oh okay they're acting like a married couple, but it's never like right you know like you never see them like walking around after he has a bad dream and she's in her ridiculous <laughs> nightgown. nightgown. Like you never Don't see that. Don't besmirch the nightgown. Yeah, and Obi Wan has a girlfriend. Yay! Yeah. Yep. Oh, she's the best. Yep. Duchess Satine of Mandalore. She's the best. Taboo. No, they're allowed to fuck. They're just not allowed to care. No, because there's there's this whole backstory where they're like stuck in the wilderness for a year, running away from assassins, and they're like totally boned the whole time. Yeah, it's great. Oh my god. Yeah, and then he like there's a one episode where he fakes his death, and she's like at his funeral crying. (laughs) See, like I almost don't even want the prequels to make any sense. That's why I haven't watched this. I'm like, I don't want to give them any credit. Well, you don't have to give George Lucas any credit. <laughs> like to me, like all the credit goes to the no. It's it's, who are it's the one giant, wars. very well done honeypot. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, you're late to the fandom, Julia. Yeah, that, that was the point of the segment, right? I'm yeah, like yeah. ashamed of myself. I would have enjoyed this so much while it was out. Like, and like, you know, when you watch things on Netflix, like sometimes you don't even notice like season breaks and things like that. Yep. But, like, when I actually, like, like, oh, my God, that, like, I would have had to wait, like, a year for that. Oh, my God. I would have been, like, on the edge of my seat. Like, they, they, yeah. they had a season break right in the middle of, like, the um the Darth Maul Savage Press thing. Just, oh, like, season break. Right. Like, oh, my right. God. I would have been, like, what's going to happen with Darth Maul and his bro? Oh, my God. Like, yeah. Anyway, Gretchen, what, what fandom were you late to? <laughs> 
Um, well, it's a very small fandom. Um, and, uh, so I, a couple weeks ago, I was in a, like, creator mood. So I was, like, making a bunch of things over the weekend, like, canning tomatoes and making a giant batch of salsa verde that I'm going to give away as gifts to people. Um, so I... looks awesome. Yeah, it's delicious, if I do say so myself. Um, (laughs) it's what I am really proud of my salsa verde. Um, so I decided to listen to i was like i need something to listen to while i'm like standing on my feet all day so i decided to listen to the podcast alice isn't dead um which is really good oh my gosh what is it we have a bunch of uh pieces on it which Mm -hmm. i'll link sabiel has written on it so i'll link the tag for you guys yep um so alice isn't dead it's from the creators of welcome to night Vale, which i have not listened you don't need to know that was their first podcast you don't need to have listened to it to listen to Alice Isn't Dead. Alice Isn't Dead is a it's two seasons, so the third season will be next year. Um, it's oh, it's in the style more of a radio drama. It's a serialized story rather than it is like a talking podcast, you know, or people like uh, like this. Like <laughs> it's not people sitting around talking about stuff. It's a story, um, and the story follows Keisha and um. I mean, this is the, I won't give any, like, spoilers for the series, but I will say that, like, the, the background of the story, which you find out in the first episode, is that, um, Keisha, um, who is voiced by Jessica Nicole, who I love, um, <laughs> I could listen to her talk all day long, and her wife disappeared prior to the show. Um, is that Alice? Yeah, her name is Alice, and, um, she believed, Keisha believed her wife was dead, and then, Happened to see her wife on TV in the background of, like, a news story. Uh. Um, and then started seeing her in the background of other things, like, around the country. And so quit her job and um, took up a job as, like, a long-haul trucker for a shipping company that whose name that she found in, like, her wife's files uh, called Bay and Creek. And so the story follows just, like, her driving across America – um, as a trucker, like, and she's talking into her radio to her, to Alice. Um, and that's like the, the form of it is just like her sitting in her truck talking to Alice about what she's seeing, what she's experiencing. Um, it's a bit like, it's got elements of the supernatural of like a little bit of horror and suspense. Um, so is it like so- how I met your mother where like the framing is him meeting the mother, but it's not ever really about that. It's like, is, um, it, is she trying to find Alice, but she's not really trying to find Alice. Uh, no, she is actually trying to find Alice. She is, like, actually trying to find, like, clues to figure out, like, where Alice is, what she's involved in, like, what the whole thing, like, what's going on. Um, why did her wife, you know, leave her and fake her own death? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, she is looking for Alice, but, like, that is one of the main threads. But, like, the other thread is, like, she's being followed by this creepy guy that she calls the Thistle Man, who seems, like, is he Scottish? Kind of, uh, no. He just has, like, a, he wears a polo shirt that says Thistle on it. Um, so she calls him the thistle man. Um, but he's like kind of like monstrous and creepy. Like he eats somebody. Um, and so like, that's what I mean. Like the element of like the supernatural, like kind of creepy horror involved. So she's like running away from the thistle man and also trying to find her wife. Um, and sprinkled in are these like philosophical musings on like 
the nature of America and the nature of like relationships and life and like what does it mean that there are there's this like vast empty space in America that we never use and like the interconnectedness like it sounds like it doesn't all work but it does like there are all of these I know this sounds really good it's super like it's fascinating and you know kind of like you if I had only you know because I binged it I just like put like made a playlist of the whole like all two seasons and just sat and, you know, not sat, I was working, but, like, listened to it all the way through. Like, if I had been waiting for these episodes to come out, like, oh, my gosh, I would have been like, what's going to happen with, like, where's Keisha going next and what's happening with the Thistle Man? And, like, it's, it really does, it's gripping. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a gripping story. Um, And some of my favorite episodes are the more, like, thoughtful ones like they're it gets pretty political into season two but even in season one like it's got there's these really like thoughtful reflections on like you know what does it mean that like we have um that we don't value age anymore because like it used to mean that like age meant that you like outran death longer than anyone else but now that we all live we all live a really long time like what why don't we revere, like, the elderly anymore? Like, they're just the ones that are waiting around to die. Like, it's, like, really, like, it makes you think. Like, it's the kind of show that, like, you finish an episode and you're like, hmm. wow, I have to, like, I want to, like, think about all of these things. And they're only 20 minutes. They're, like, between 20 minutes and half an hour. So they're, like, so perfect it's a for- it's Universal podcast. Right. Exactly. No, that's a really good, um, yeah, that's a really good comparison. Um, like, my biggest disappointment was finishing this and realizing, like, this is such a small fandom that I went online and was like, I want to read, like, people's thoughts and theories about Alice isn't dead, and there's, like, nothing. Oh, no. Well, I was like, yourself. damn it. Yeah, I mean, I have to, because I have a lot, I have a lot of thoughts about but it. That's, be- that's the worst, though, yeah. when it's, like, so niche that it's just, like... And there's no, like, fanfic about it. <laughs> I don't really, I don't know how you do fanfic about... Yeah, well, people manage to fanfic anything. Thistle Man shipping? I don't know. Oh, there's a character in the second season and she's a villain and I could, no. I could see people doing it, but no. No. (laughs) I'm really distracted by the way you're holding your cat and your avatar, by the way. Oh. (laughs) We're on, we're on Google Hangouts and and Gretchen has what looks like her cat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She's just cutting it on her chest. I don't know what's weird. Yeah. It kind of looks like she's nursing her cat. (laughs) Okay. Ezra does really enjoy like he's a boob man what can i say um he likes my to use my boobs as a pillow um so he will like he'll lay in my arms like a baby with just like his head propped up on my chest um it's really adorable but i can't imagine why it looks odd well my avatar is a picture of me and my son mugging for the camera at a sushi restaurant so (laughs) that's cute (laughs) mine's the same one on fundamentals yeah so you guys have probably seen it (laughs) So anyway, Alice isn't dead. It's really, really good. Yeah, I'm, and, it sounds, I'm, it yeah. sounds totally too creepy to for it. me, but it sounds really good. I'm going to yeah, listen to actually. it on my extremely long commute. I'm yeah. too much of a baby to listen to it, but it sounds fantastic. So Kylie, Aww. what's your contribution? You didn't even write it down in our doc. I didn't write it down. Well, here's the thing. I'm like never on time to any TV show <laughs> ever. Like <laughs> I do not watch something unless you have given me a recommendation. If it weren't for my best friend, uh, Teresa, uh, Teresa coming over and putting Jessica Jones on, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have even watched that on time. So like I'm always late to everything. Black Sails I didn't start watching yeah. until after season three oh, yep. had aired. Um, Legend of Korra. 
I actually wasn't engaged in the Korra fandom until season three when I had to be because I didn't know when it was airing ever. <laughs> because Nickelodeon was like, I don't know, maybe sometime. And then six episodes gl- got leaked in Spanish or something like that. Oh, so like uh, Steven Universe. Steven Universe? I didn't start watching until it was into Steven- season two. Yeah. Uh, you same. know, all, all that kind of stuff. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I just binged mm-hmm. season one and two. You know, I can keep going. Literally never started a show on time. However, the thing I have been the latest to is actually fanfic. Just mm-hmm. as a general concept, I have a piece on this, how I got over my fic phobia. But I, like, knew fanfic existed. And I probably at some point on Muggle.net read something mm-hmm. that resembled fanfic. Oh my but I just didn't get it. I didn't see any value. Harry was Potter like, was not a fandom I was late to. I, I wasn't late there either. I watched, I began, I, I watched I, the movie. I was into movie it before the movies were out. I was going to say, as soon as you mm. said, I watched, I knew that you were late. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, because, like, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't understand. We tried to get into Harry Potter when just the first book was out, and I purposely hated it because everyone else liked it. So yeah. it wasn't until I finally saw the first movie, I was like, damn it, all right, what are the books about? Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, so fanfic in general, like, I think I encountered it when I was, you know, I don't know. In eighth or ninth grade, I probably saw something. And I just didn't... What was the point? Why would you engage with a piece of media like this? That's not what the story is. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of ignored it. And then, you know, the reputation surrounding fic. Uh, So for years and years, I was just kind of like, well, this is a dumb pursuit. Like, whatever. And I also just didn't think about it much. Because I was, you know, in school and doing stuff. Uh, And then Julia here... At one point, we yeah. were, like, talking and analyzing a song of Ice and Fire, and she's like, you know what, I think I actually want to explore uh, what <laughs> happened in Dorne just before we get down there. Like, think about, like, when Marcella arrives there and what that story would look like. And, and you I were like, vaguely wow. embarrassed for me? <laughs> I was so embarrassed for you. I was like, I can't believe she's writing fic. She only told me this after, like, I had published my fic. I was oh so, inv- I like was cringing and I was like, is this going to be the end of our online friendship? <laughs> I, I don't know if I can, you know, deal with fanfic. <laughs> so then she said, so then she starts asking questions, just like, what do you think Ariane's mental state would have been? And I realized it was just analysis. It's just yep. analysis. And then you put it to a narrative with like what you want to say. Julia had very specific things to say about the patriarchy in her piece, for instance, and the role it's of women really and fathers. Plus yeah, so yeah, she's so gonna go read get... it. It's called The Princess and the Scepter. Yeah, I'll link it. She's getting embarrassed, but I could hear it. Uh, so this happened, and I was like, oh my god, maybe she's onto something with fanfic. So I was like, very, very into Legend of Korra, which had just ended at that time, and I was like, you know what I would want to read? Did anyone write about Asami during the three year gap? And like, like very specific business details. I really want to know how she ran Future Industries. And everyone was like, no, that doesn't exist. But, you know, here's Cora, and Cora working as a coffee shop waitress. Um, <laughs> coffee shop I use. Okay, oh. so... I mean, like, one gonna... thing that we, like, still... The party we still haven't arrived to, probably never will, is, like, modern AUs. So, just so you know. <laughs> Not modern. I will yeah. never join the AU yeah. train either. Yeah, but the So, I, like, sat down and I wrote, like, basically just vignette-style uh, what I thought happened with Asami. And from there on, like, right through writing fanfic and reading Julia's fanfic, I was like, oh, there's a lot of value here. Yeah. Um, 
my penchant is for canon compliance. Yes. Uh, yep. However, I am like becoming an increasing fan of canon divergence. I don't like AUs particularly, but yep. uh, with like, oh, imagine if this had happened, what would that spawn into? Especially in a situation where something is maybe a fix-it fic. Like, imagine Frozen made sense. What would that look <laughs> like? Oh, my, one of my friends and I had a huge long, we were going to write it together, and it was still a very productive like time talking about it, but we were going to like basically rewrite the 100 as actually good yeah um actually frankie she used to write for us she writes uh i believe game of thrones fix it fic yeah i'm mm. pretty sure she does that yeah which sounds like a nightmare of a yeah. challenge thank you if you do that and you listen to this email us <laughs> we want to yeah, tell it. yeah we want to hear about yeah. it i on the other hand like totally grew up like my entire sexual development was han and leah fic so. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, because that, like, that's the other thing. It's very hard to I- avoid the, like, oh, it's smut. Oh, and it is smut. There is smut. There's, yep. a, there's a large percentage of fic that's smut. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, that was its own stigma for me to get over. Not so much yeah. because I'm like, oh, boy, I don't want to read all this. It's too raunchy. But because I'm very, like... Unless your smut is just about emotions and very high level, I get so distracted by, like, trying to keep track of limbs and movement, and I'm just like, this is not working for me at all. So I'm just, I'm just very picky, but, uh, in, in general, I've seen a lot of value in it, and more so, I just see the value in the endeavor of writing fic too, no matter mm-hmm. how schlocky or whatever it is, just, like, go for it. It's such a fun, cool way to engage with a narrative. Yeah. And I'll stand by that too, because it really makes it think about the characters no matter what you're writing and like world building as well like you really have to work out like what you think of the world building details and then it makes you see like kind of like the gaps in it and everything in a way that nothing else does absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely and it's interesting because a lot of the people you know griffin and i were a little critical of turf wars from a world building perspective the the legend of Korra comics and the feedback we got from fic writers versus the feedback we got from other like non-fic writers was night and day mm-hmm. mm, and that was really yeah and I'm, I'm not saying oh it's superior i'm just saying like it makes you consider the world in a very specific way right and i think that's an interesting thought exercise so yeah i definitely champion it now um i'm still a little slow to read fic recommendations just because i have too much stuff to do in general mm. but it's yeah. like i'm so into it now and this is like such a valid way and i kind of forget that there's a stigma about it now so i'll just be like picking up pizza with my sister being like yeah i'm writing a carbon san diego fic like very like loudly <laughs> in a pizza shop i don't care about it <laughs> and, yeah i'm writing it and it's great and gay so it is very gay it's awesome i keep like, sending hey. i keep sending gretchen like the gayest snippets of it but, i love it yeah. Yeah. she doesn't send Fabulous. me the gay snippets <laughs> She just sends me, like, the geography porn snippets. Okay, no, no, and I, like, mentioned it to my brother. He's like, I'd love to read this. So I was like, uh. Oh, I don't know. I didn't mention the gay aspect. I was just like, oh, it's about Carmen Sandiego. He's like, that sounds interesting. Well, all right, brother, you're going to learn some things about me. Yeah, I'm just going to learn things about Papua New Guinea. I mean, he knows I'm bi, but, like, yeah. Anyway, mm. that took a weird direction. That's what I was late to. If you do not write or read fanfic, give it a shot. Give it a whirl. I'm Probably there will be something and that interests you because everything has been written. Go yep. watch The Clone Wars before they for real Z's this time. Take it off Netflix. Yep. And go listen to Alice Isn't Dead. Because it's awesome. It's not uh, too late. Yep. Looks like you're gonna. Looks like you're gonna have a busy uh, month. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay. I just found out my friend has never seen the room. Oh and I was my like, god! Go watch the room so we can go see the disaster artist. What are That's... you doing? 
I've never seen it. Gretchen, oh my god, Gretchen, go on, watch the room. Go, like, okay, when we're finished recording, go watch the room. I'm serious. It's kind of a difficult movie to watch on your own. You should at least watch it with, like, some friends. Because, yeah. like, if you're watching it on your own, you're just going to be like, why am I watching softcore porn? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, what is this? This is such a great recommendation, you guys. Gretchen, you have to watch the room. Like, first of no. all, you will understand, like, so many more jokes all of a sudden. It's like, when I saw Airplane, I was just like, that's what that reference always is that people make. When, when people movies. say it is the best bad movie ever made, like, that's not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. It is wonderfully okay. terrible. You're my favorite customer. Okay, so I think that about <laughs> does it for today. We were a little long-winded, because we always are. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you liked what we had to say, you should write us a review. Seriously, I say this every time, but like, it really, really does help with search visibility. So we're not mm-hmm. just like saying that for funsies, or because we watch YouTube videos where everyone says like and subscribe. It, it does a thing with the whatever iTunes algorithm, so that's useful. Yeah. Uh, you can also just support us by visiting thefandamentals.com and reading the cool stuff we read about because we get into it. Yeah, wow. we yep. um, definitely don't have a reputation for extremely long think pieces. No, nope. not in the that's not us. Hey, nope. they're entertaining. I just got someone telling me that they like read John's Folly, which is our fifteen thousand word piece. Oh, like one of the first. Yeah, that's before we learned that maybe we should split these in half. <laughs> they're like, yeah, it took me three days, but it was great. <laughs> wow. Just keep yeah. the tab open. It'll be fine. I sometimes wonder how long it would take if you if someone were to read all of your Game of Thrones pieces like back to back. Probably longer than the show. I get through one on a plane ride, maybe. So, <laughs> not that Probably. I reread my own pieces. Anyway, so yeah, you should check out our website. We've also got merch if you want that. Yeah. And boy, do I really need to get my! I've designed new shirts. I just need to upload them. So Go that'd be good for me. Yeah, I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that tonight. Uh, but yeah, that, that's about all. And I guess I will talk, or we will talk to you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. that slightly differently this time i did i drunk i don't know <laughs> i drunk you said i drunk i drunk i drunk <laughs> one one sip of whiskey water i drunk oh this is starting not great <laughs>